In this episode, we're going to have a conversation with Ross Levy, a two times published author, founder of an award winning business, and he will also share insights on how he identified a gap in the marketplace that became the foundation for his business and has become the secret sauce of his success. Stay tuned, listen to it, and enjoy it. You are listening to the Unstoppable Leaders Podcast, the show dedicated to leaders who want to achieve more, do more, become more, and those that are looking for an unfair advantage in all that they do. Each episode will be an interview or a message to unleash the unstoppable leader within you and help you get a slight edge. Leaders are always growing, and this show will be your secret weapon to level up the next stage of your business and life. Your host, a performance excellence expert with LMI Canada, who works with leaders and organizations to realize more of their potential. I give you George Gamboa. Hello, leaders, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Leaders Podcast, where our mission is to inspire, to elevate, and to unlock the leaders within you. Today, we have a treat uh, uh, with our guests. He is not only a twice-published author, he is also the founder of an award-winning business, Your Bottom Line, and uh, he has elevated his business to be more than more than just an accounting firm. And he has positioned it to be a trusted advisor for entrepreneurs and business owners. So it is a pleasure to introduce you to Ross Levy. Hi, Ross. Hello. Yeah, so in, in this episode, before we get in, into, into the fun part, uh, something that we are gonna be uh, talking about are uh, how you identified a gap in the market marketplace and you leverage that gap to make it a unique differentiation uh, when building your business. Also, also how you develop uh, what I would call a, a killer service, a, a unique service, and we'll talk about it with the virtual CFO. And last but, last but not least, how one ingredient has been a success strategy from the beginning and has made it possible to propel your business to the growth and scale that it has today. And we'll talk about it in the next few minutes. So, Ross, first of all, to break the ice, tell, tell us something about yourself that most people don't know. Well, um, I'm I'm originally from Fredericton, New Brunswick. Came from the East Coast uh, a whole lot of years ago. I'm probably the only accountant that you will ever meet. I have yet to meet another one myself who also is active in community theater. It's my creative outlet. <laughs> nice. So, so. Uh... I guess you're taking a break now with, with COVID and all of that. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a while since we've since we've done much of the way of community theater, and uh, they're they're all just gradually getting back into the swing of things. Yeah. Sweet. Tell us a little bit. How did you get started uh, 
And how did you came up with uh, your business to go independent? What was your, your trajectory? Well, the, the, the short history begins, uh, I got my uh, CA uh, with one of the, the, what was then the big eight firms, now the big four, um, went into industry, was, was in the uh, leasing industry for about seven years. And then I went, uh, went back and started my own company in the 90s. I did that for about 10 years. Uh, got enticed to go back into the agricultural field as corporate controller for a large conglomeration of 11 companies. Took that company through a number of, a number of hurdles and goals. And once we had achieved those, uh, began the, the, the wind up that was intended right from the get go. I was there for two and a half to three years. And uh, in 2004, I launched YBL, Your Bottom Line. The whole thrust when we started YBL uh, was I had spent quite a bit of time talking to small business owners, looking at what I called simplistically their relationship with their accountant. And Every time I asked anybody, tell me about the relationship with your accountant, I got sort of the, the, the cocked head kind of look and, you know, looking at me like I had three heads because they were like, relationship? What relationship? You know, essentially the reality of the marketplace then and it remains largely the same today was they would see their accountant roundabout year in. They would either drop off the material or the, the accountant would pick it up and they would then not hear from them for anywhere from two to four months. And somewhere along all of that, they would then create as if by magic, as if out of thin air, uh, they would create a financial statement, a tax return, a bill for CRA and a bill for the accountant. And typically at that point in time, in a getting all of this stuff, not being able to read it nor understand it for most people and having this drop kick to the chest of a bill that is now landed in their lap, most people were afraid to talk to their accountants. They considered it a bit like going to the dentist, you know, and I looked at all of that and went, you know, this is the model that most accounting firms use in North America, if not well beyond that. And in my view, it's just broken. It is not conducive to a good ongoing working relationship between the accountant and the client, uh, between the, the client and your trusted financial advisor. You know, you need to have somebody to turn to that you're not afraid to turn to when you have questions in growing and developing and evolving your business. And, and so we took that model and we turned it on its head, basically taking the strategy that tell us your situations, you know, walk us through what is unique about you and your situation. Tell us what your 
interests are, tell us what your concerns are, what your pain points, you know, all of these different kinds of approaches that we're taking in terms of understanding our client and, and their business. And then what we do is we craft up a customized engagement that basically says, okay, you're going to, rather than get a huge whopping bill at the end of this exercise, what we're going to do is we're going to parse it out over the course of your fiscal year. We're going to look at your situation. We're going to do some initial stuff up front. You're going to ask a lot of questions. We're going to ask you a lot of questions. We're going to invest a lot of time up front in making sure that we know and understand who you are as a client, as a taxpayer, you know, as an individual, and equally knowing that about your company. And now we can advise you far better on some of the particulars that you've got. And many of those questions, it, it falls into the category of you don't know what you don't know. You know. So what we will do is we will prompt a lot of questions that people often come back and go, geez, you know, I never even thought of that. Well, that's part of why we're here. We, we, we swim in the deep end of the pool quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so pretty much uh, uh, what I'm hearing is that you really build that relationship, that connection uh, uh, with your clients. And, and that's what pretty much turns you into a trusted advisor for them because when we don't have to worry about, oh, my gosh, it's going to cost me so much money just to call you to ask you a question, it changes the game, right? Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, it's funny you should put it that way. I was having a conversation with somebody just this morning, a, a new prospective client who had reached out, had been referred to us. And I, I was walking through some of this stuff and I was explaining the same kind of information. and. I realized in the conversation that he had had his taxes, both personal and corporate, done by a friend, and they they were they've been done that way for many years. He realized that while it was costing him very very little, he was missing in a lot of potential opportunities. And as his business was growing and becoming more complicated, he had a lot of questions that this friend who may, may have been perfectly capable of handling the, the returns from a technical perspective, the friend wasn't able to offer him any advice or any direction or any of that. And, and ultimately, that's why he's coming on board as a client because it's it's creating that relationship just in that first one hour phone call that we had and understanding oh my gosh there's so many things that I could be taking advantage of that I'm not and not only did not, I not know but neither did my current tax provider so yeah it's the relationship is key and and that's pervasive across our entire team as well yeah, and I think that is that can be the difference between just surviving and thriving when you have uh, that good advice at hand, right? Hugely, yeah, uh, 100% agreed. So how, how does this relate to, to your virtual CFO? Well, when you, when you look at our offering, you know, like any accountant, uh, you know, worth his salt, when you, when you 
initially hang out your shingle. The initial business that is going to gravitate towards someone like like me, as you know, when I started back in 2004, 17 plus years ago, you're going to get tax business, you know, what, what I'll call the, you know, from the plain vanilla, the small business, you know, the, the rental properties, you know, those kind of things that will happen, you know, almost naturally and organically. The more I talked about, you know, that relationship and, you know, it, right from day one, the intent was that over time, the virtual CFO proposition would be the primary, you know, focal point of, of our company. Now, to be fair, we have clients who have a lot of other needs outside of that overall relationship. Sometimes it's bookkeeping and we have a whole team of bookkeepers. It, you know, we have some clients who are purely just about tax preparation and we've got a team of accountants and tax preparers that can do that. We have a payroll team for those people who have payroll-related issues. And, and, you know, regardless of what somebody's needs are in this arena, we can pretty much handle any and all of it. And the VCFO basically brings all of this under one very large umbrella so that as a result, I can say with confidence that probably 90, maybe even 90, 95% of our clientele under the VCFO umbrella, they see a regular monthly bill that they will get because we've created an estimation of what their needs are going to look like over the course of the year, and we parse it out over that. 90 to 95% of our clients will never, ever see another bill. So they're not afraid to pick up the phone. They don't have to make an investment decision every single time they're they're thinking about uh, a decision for their business because they know it's not going to cost them anything extra. Now, to be fair, I said 90 to 95% of VCFO clients fall into that umbrella. So ergo, that means 5 to 10%, you know, occasionally will bring us something that is outside the normal scope of an arrangement. The easy example that I often give to people is, if, if you need us to do a deep dive review of, you know, prior years because you're afraid there's maybe been some mistakes or some errors made, um, you know, that's clearly outside the normal engagement. If somebody says, hey, you know, can you do a valuation of my company because I'm looking at selling? you know, maybe two, three, four years down the road, or, hey, I'm looking at buying my competition down the road and they've put out this price. Can you help me understand if that valuation makes sense? You know, those kind of things, they're clearly not inside the normal scope of an arrangement in terms of your day-to-day -day operational stuff and your financial decisions, that kind of thing. They're outside the norm. But they're, to be honest, they're few and far between. If we exceeded 5% of our VCFO clients, I would say that's a lot. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, nice model to run. And just to wrap up uh, 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 what you do uh, and what your bottom line is all about, uh, 
If, if we have new solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, business owners listening to the podcast, uh, what what usually motivates people like them to engage you if, if they don't know they need the PCFO or not? Uh, great, great question. Um, there's there's a number of different things. The the majority of our VCFO style clients are clients who have a corporation. Now, not always. We have probably I'm going to say about ten percent of our VCFOs are sole proprietors who anticipate at some point they're going in that direction. But in 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 that kind of incorporated situation, there and even if it's just one person, you know, I'm incorporated. I've got you know my my company, my brand, those kind of things, and I'm building and growing. And it may only ever be my intention to be a one person company, a solopreneur. But you end up with a lot of. I'm going to say opportunities, challenges, and issues, and, and not the least of which is, you know, I'm doing well in this corporation over here, and I need to put some money in my own jeans, and I want to hang on to as much of that as I possibly can without handing it all over to Revenue Canada, etc. Et and so, you know, that may be questions as simple as salary versus dividends or management fees or reimbursement for certain costs and expenses. It may also have to do with how do I, you know, can I write these things off or, or what else can I write off? Those are very, very common questions. Um, so the more you have those kind of issues and questions, the more likely you are to need this. Now, if it's a solopreneur who is not incorporated, it doesn't mean they don't have these questions. Of course they do. But in those kind of circumstances, it's it's much more likely that we'll look at the situation and we'll provide it, you know, in a in a solopreneur, a lot of it is tied around their systems, i.e., their bookkeeping and so on, whether it's Excel or QuickBooks Online or Sage all depends on the complexity of their business and whether or not they even need something like that and and helping them get organized get structured and of course the the when you don't have a corporate return involved it's you know it's a lot less likely to be something that needs to be or even wants to be spread out over the course of a year you know a lot of times a a new solopreneur self uh, self-employed sole proprietor will reach out and will have an hour or two consultation while I'm dealing with some of their issues. And we'll simply take the cost of that and we'll add that onto their tax return along the way, because that's really the only, you know, once they've got things set up for them, it's much more sporadic. Whereas with a corporation, it's, it's more of an ongoing kind of nature. Yeah, so so pretty much, uh, I think in this day and age, with all this great resignation and people trying to come up with their own business, start their own business, uh, having access to financial advice and for their company as they grow, it's 
a key to success, right? Oh, absolutely. 100% agreed. So now let's switch a little bit in the conversation. Uh, through all the existence of your bottom line, you have gone through different levels of growth and uh, obviously ongoing success. What has been, if you can identify, what has been the key success factor or the secret sauce that has propelled you to get to, to where you are to, today? Great question. It's, it's hard for me to point to, to one thing all by itself. Uh, I'm going to identify a couple of things in different arenas. Number one, first and foremost, I'm going to hearken back to the whole conversation about the VCFO and the relationship. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people who've said to me, you know, this, this whole process, the, the, you know, the interviewing with a new client, the finding out a little bit more about you as an individual, you know, and, and, and the building that understanding of you as an individual and your corporation. So many people have said to me, man, that's just so refreshing to know that you really care about who we are and what we do and how we operate. And, and that, that is a big part of who I am as an individual and the team that I've surrounded myself with. Our, you know, our whole corporate culture sort of comes from that relationship and that caring standpoint. And I tend to sort of wear my heart on my sleeve to a certain extent. And, and it's gratifying to me to know that that comes through that quickly in the initial meetings. I had two new clients yesterday who both came on board and each of them said to me at the end of the meeting, I just feel so much better having talked to you and, and thank you for eliminating my issues and removing the stresses and so on. And it was really just about listening to the client, understanding what their concerns were, and then extrapolating from there to how do we help you resolve that. So that is you as a person. It comes to you. And, and that is a, a very strong quality, right? When you are able to connect and truly care with somebody, it changes the, the dynamics. And how have you been able to uh, uh, duplicate the same behavior in your organization? Because it's very different when you do it than somebody else. Oh. It, it, absolutely, absolutely. And, it, and it's funny, I mentioned earlier when you asked the question, how difficult it is for me to point to just one thing, you know, that that one thing is, you know, about the relationship, and the VCFO and the caring and all that sort of stuff. That is stuff that I now have, have built and carried throughout an entire team. But remember, also, when we started, I, I always say we, and, and in 2004, it was I, it was just me sitting behind a desk and a computer. And from 2004 through to 2010, I went through varying levels of, you know, I got busier and busier and busier. And, you know, I could feel the water rising around my, my chin, my nose, my ears as, as, as the workload was going well beyond my own capacity. 
I've always been a little bit of a, a, a workaholic to which my wife answers, you know, there's, there's nothing borderline about you, honey. <laughs> so I'm not afraid of a little bit of hard work. Um, and, and I brought in team members, you know, on a, on a uh, sporadic as needs kind of basis initially. In 2010, I brought on my first full-time team member. And uh, we, you know, all of a sudden that created such a breath of fresh air for me by being able to say, okay, I was working 80 hour work weeks at that point in time. And, and you know, my, my initial concerns, to be honest with Jesus, am I going to have enough to keep this person busy? I obviously needn't have worried. <laughs> I carved off a whole lot of my activities that I was doing that I realized once I had done it, those were stifled. Those those things being on my plate were stifling the growth of my business. And so by carving that stuff off and saying, okay, here, you handle that, it then freed me up for a, a big chunk of growth in our business. And, and since that time, We've gone through, and now I can say the collective we, we've gone through a lot of growth and, and these kind of spurts of activity. And we added a couple of more team members between 2010 and 2015 as the workload grew and expanded. But again, they were not full-time employee commitments. In 2015, we hired our first admin member and our, our first admin employee. And I got to tell you, that was scary as all get out for me. You know, again, you know, committing to somebody else 35 to 40 hours a week. And I'll echo exactly the same. I needn't have worried because lo and behold, when Mike and I took a chunk of our work, and we moved it over to Christine, who was our new hire. We found all of a sudden both of us had renewed energy and renewed ability to take on more work ourselves, whether it was the marketing, the sales and service, or it was the technical work of, of what we do. At the end of 2016, we, we moved out of our converted home office. We had been there 13 years. I had told my wife when I started in business, give me three years, I'll be out of here. <laughs> 13 years later, we finally moved into a separate location. The day we signed the lease, we hired another employee. And it, it goes on from there. So we were at that point in time, the beginning of 2016, we were a team of four people on a full-time basis and another four on a contractual basis who were large, significant parts of our team. Uh, by the time we went from that office to this office, which now will house about 25 people, um, we were at, I'm going to say about 10 or 12 people. We saw ourselves outgrowing the other office. We knew that we were going to need more space. So we, we moved in here uh, in 2019, sublet the previous office because we'd outgrown it. And then, then, of course, in 
March of 2020, we sent everybody home and, and we moved to a largely remote model. Now, at, at the time of the very first lockdown, we were uh, at 14 people and we had a new hire who was joining us the day after the lockdown started. So what was going to be an in-person training became very much an online training. And, and we all sort of went through that all together. During the course of this global pandemic, we have now added another 10 members to our team, uh, including that one person who came in the day after the lockdown. And, and some of them are local but remote. Some of them are geographically remote because, of course, now that we're operating in a 90, still in a 90% remote world, uh, re remote could just be, you know, one of our team members a block and a half away at home, or it could be somebody in Cornwall or Nova Scotia. And I use those as real live examples. And, and so we've got, uh, we have team members all over the place. Now, some of them who are local within our region, um, and, and that is still by far and away, the lion's share of our team is, is, uh, with, within the proverbial spitting distance. And they are now coming in, you know, a day here and there, and they will will all gradually evolve into whatever the heck this new normal is going to look like. But they have the ability to work either remotely or uh, or in the office. You certainly have lots of space. You can almost bowl through here from time to time. <laughs> yeah, it, it opened the, the potential and the possibilities, right, on this. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just want to restate something that you mentioned that I think it was uh, fascinating. As you were growing up, especially in the early days, when you decided to delegate things to other people, that uh, created more energy for you and, and Mike, which increased the motivation, desire, productivity. And obviously that was reflected in growth, additional growth. So. Uh, the, the, something I think uh, uh, everyone should listen is don't be afraid to delegate because that will make things better. It will play out. Well, and and there's there's a a very natural tendency, and I understand it. I've been through it exactly the same as every other entrepreneur has. The initially, I, I refer to it as a bit of a teeter totter. I have lots of time. I have lots of energy. I have lots of capacity. I have very little in terms of clients initially, and I may or may not have a whole lot of money. And so as a result, the teeter-totter looks like this. And so I am going to take on a lot of stuff in, initially that I simply go, well, I can't afford to do that. Or even if I could afford to do that, it would cost me you know, $200 to have somebody do that, whatever that is, I don't care. But I've got 10 hours of time. And even though my time is worth a hundred bucks an hour, I got nothing else to do with my time. So I'll spend the 10 hours and I'll do it myself. The almost embarrassing example I use myself is our very first website. I'm almost hesitant to say, 
I designed it myself using a free service of sorts or an inexpensive service, did it all myself. And remember, let, let's be fair, in, in 2004, websites were very different than they are today. It was a glorified five-page brochure that was online. And so in 2004, if somebody wanted to find us online, they could. And I look at that by comparison to the website that we've got professionally done now and what's behind that. And I just shake my head at what that used to be, what that used to look like. It's, it's embarrassing. But the flip side is, as I got busier and all of a sudden now I had more clients chewing up time. I had more things on the go. I had less time available. The teeter-totter, as you can see, has now swung the other way. So it was much easier to say, well, okay, if it's going to cost me 200 or or $1,000 to have somebody else do this, I would much sooner pay that money. And, and it was a much easier decision. You know? The other example, I've had a couple of other accountants that I know who've said to me, and even before I started, you know, I asked them, what would they do differently? I would have delegated more and faster, and I would have moved out of moved out to a separate office sooner. And I will echo exactly those same two things that I heard as advice, and it took me a little while to listen to as well, because I didn't want to fork out the money. <laughs> yeah, no, and. Just hearing you talk about it, it's music to my ears because that's a big part of what I do. I, I uh, help uh, executive business owners uh, get better and master the, the the skills to prioritize, to focus on high pay of activities, low pay of activities. You need to get rid of them because they are just time consumers, and it's true. It's it's it limits. The, the, the progress and the results you can get. Very much so, yeah. So I noticed that, that you have a, a poster behind on BNI. Can you elaborate a little bit uh, how impactful networking has been for your business throughout the years? 100%. Um, when, when I started in business, and in this business in 2004, I had some really great mentors in, in my business, some within the accounting field, many coaches and consultants who contributed in a lot of different ways. And one message that I heard time and time again was about how networking would help grow my business. Now, being a you know, I am I'm the first to say I'm not the typical accountant. You know, the 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 image that a lot of people have of the, you know, the green eye shade, the black armband, the zero personality, nose to the grindstone kind of kind of thing. Um, and, and that's not me. That's not who I am. Uh, and 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 so I was never afraid of going out and, you know, doing the the marketing, the face-to-face -face connecting with other people. I thrive on that. I'm very much a people kind of person. And, and so I just changed what I was doing 
from a personal perspective to now where are there other opportunities to to get out and get get the name, get the word out, you know, that kind of thing, build the brand face to face with people. And I'll be honest, you know, you remember that teeter-totter analogy, I had lots of time. Uh, somebody would tell me about another network uh, that was out there, another networking event or opportunity. I was in there. You know, I, I had so many, so much networking I was doing and, I, you know, I did my client work when I, when I wasn't out networking. Over time, of course, that teeter-totter began to shift. And, you know, I you know, did a lot of interacting with the self-employed business network, with the uh, Business Advisory Center for Durham, with the Whitby Chamber. Started as a chamber member in 2005. Um, I'm now a 15 or 16-year member at the Whitby Chamber. I'm a 15-year member with BNI, uh, Business Networks International, that is that has been a, a key focal point of, of growth. And not only am I a member of BNI, but there are currently two other members of our team who are also members of other BNI chapters. And you know, it's it's, it's all about networking with other individuals and and getting getting the word out and, and we're all constantly on the lookout for others. And we've had others, uh, other members of our team involved in other networks as well. Um, so it's a lot about just, you know, getting out, getting the face known. You know, you mentioned earlier about award winning. We're now our fourth year in a row of uh, being acknowledged in the local reader's choice awards. Uh, for the top accountant in our area. Um, we were nominated in four categories in two locations, and we came out the absolute top in all eight categories, uh, accounting, accounting firm, tax preparation, and I think bookkeeping. It's just tough to keep track. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive. Talking about networking, a question that a lot of people have as they are growing their companies. How do you balance networking and building your personal brand versus building your company brand? Yeah. Yeah. Another great question. In 2004 and even 2004 all the way through to 2010, there was Quite honestly, there was very little difference between Ross Libby as a brand and your bottom line as a brand, because I was effectively the team. <laughs> and, and as the business grew and evolved, you know, I, I re remember saying in, let's say, 2004 through 2006 or so, I remember saying to people that, you know, if you come on board as a client, you're going to be dealing directly with me. You, you always have access to the top guy at the table, and, and I'll always be handling your stuff. Well, certainly that was the case in 2004 through 2006. But, of course, you know, unless it's your goal 
to be a one-man show solopreneur now and forever, that's not always going to be the case. And that was not the case for me. Um, 2006 started bringing on you know other other team members, yeah, albeit on a part-time you know occasional kind of basis, but nonetheless. Um, and then, in, as I said earlier, 2010, now I've got other full-time members of the team as well. And so now it became about when you come on board as a client, you have access to the entire wealth of knowledge of the entire team. And so now, you know, the, the, the your bottom line brand is far more important then Ross Libby is a brand. I am simply an ambassador of that brand, as far as I'm concerned at this stage. Yeah, no, and somehow you have managed to make that part of the culture, because everyone that I have met at Jubor Online has the same quality characteristic. It's very duplicable, the way yeah. you have built it. Yeah, it's, 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 it, it is... When we go through the process, and, and of course, it's, it's, it's like anything. When anybody is hiring anybody or bringing anybody on as a team member in whatever capacity, you're always looking for people, you know, I don't want people who are just like me because that doesn't help the company grow. You know, we grow more by bringing on people who have differences. However, there are certain things that I do want to make sure that as much as possible that they can relate to the same kind of, of corporate cultural kind of things. And I say corporate cultural has nothing to do with geographic cultural issues or religious or you know any of those other kinds of things. It has to do with how you treat people and how you respect people and all of those kind of things. And, and not everybody is, you know, carries that same quality. And that is definitely something that we look for uncategorically across the board in anybody who joins our team. You know, it, do they get that understanding of how important a caring relationship is to us and to our clients, because that is the the the, the secret sauce that holds it all together. Yeah, that's very well said. It's it's the foundation, right, of your company from day one. Absolutely. Hey, so hey, we're over forty minutes. So last topic, because I think this one is very interesting. Uh, your second book. Is coming out soon, or depending on when people are listening, it's already out there. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Abs- absolutely, absolutely. It's it, I, I'm excited, uh, ex- excited for the launch of this new book. It's called the Entrepreneur's Toolkit. It, it's it, my first book was done as a collaboration between three of us. Um, and we put that out about five or six years ago. And that was an exciting exercise. This one's been different. There's been a group of about, I think, 16 different entrepreneurs and advisors in, in different arenas who've all come together 
to pull together their areas of expertise in in you know as some of the truly amazing business professionals across varying industries, you know, legal, finance, uh, strategy, strategic planning, marketing, HR, you know, obviously accounting, bookkeeping, taxes. And everybody has pulled together some really, really valuable information for entrepreneurs and small business owners and that's going to be published i believe uh it'll be finalized and on the on the boards i believe the the date is december the second yeah very exciting yeah no that's congratulations it sounds uh, pretty good once again what's the name of the book so everybody can it's it's called the Entrepreneur's Toolkit, and I will have uh, I will have some I've, I've got some stuff already on Facebook. There will be some postings on the Your Bottom Line Facebook and our Facebook group. It'll be on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn and all that sort of fun stuff as well. Uh, so we'll will give people the opportunity to be able to tap into it. It's going to be a great tool. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and since just following up on that comment, if anybody wants to to reach out to you or learn more about your bottom line, uh, any specific place they can go? Well, the, the easy answer is always going to start probably with our website, uh, which which is fairly easy to find. It's simply yourbottomline.ca. And uh, that's got links through to everything else you would want. You can find us uh, on, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I'm sure there's more that I'm forgetting right now. But <laughs> uh, the, the website is the easy place to start. And that's got some some good uh, understanding of who we are, both as individuals, uh, as a team, as a corporation, and about us and how we deal with our clientele. Awesome. Well, I think uh, this has been a very fascinating uh, conversation, Ross, uh, very full of insights. And I'm sure uh, the leaders listening to this will appreciate it, will take some golden nuggets out of it. I so, certainly hope so. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being here. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and if anybody wants to get a hold of, of Ross or learn more, uh, you know it, go to yourbottomline.ca and go from there. Excellent. There's a link to my calendar in there and uh, our phone number, our address. We're in Oshawa. Uh, although, although in today's world, the geography seems to be largely irrelevant, we have clients literally coast to coast across, across Canada, even though the majority of our clients tend to come from Durham region and the GTA. We're literally from St. John's, Newfoundland to Victoria, BC, and a few international clients as well. So happy to help anybody who's looking for any help. Awesome. Well, it, it, it has been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You know the drill. If you like it, like it, share it, and make a comment. And as usual, I will talk to you next week. And until then, remember, as an unstoppable leader, achieving your goals is inevitable. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Unstoppable Leaders Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. You can also grab a copy of our framework for increased productivity for leaders. It's called The Five Elements, Foundations of Success. And you can get it for free at lmiadvantage.com forward slash elements. Inside the framework, you will find five elements on which to build the foundation to consistently move the needle every day, every week to achieve more, do more and become more. Once again, it's lmiadvantage.com forward slash elements. Let this be a reminder for you to be unstoppable in business and life. See you next time.